let me invite you to focus in today on one word, and I want you to just think about this word, and this is the, the theme where we are, um, let me say again, this is the theme I believe can change your life if you kept, catch a hold to it. Uh, repeat the word with me, please. Say seasons. In your life, you will discover the longer you live, things come in seasons. Relationships, friendships, opportunities, jobs. Young people make a wrong assumption that seasons don't change. But you learn over time that seasons change. There's a season in your life when people will help you go to college, and there's a season in life when people won't. There'll come a season when no one will offer you any money. <laughs> To, to go to college. There'll be no one to encourage you to go. There, there, there comes a season when a job changes. This is a season for me. I get to do this. I get to lead this church. And I've been doing it for 34 years. But I understand at some point, one day, uh, it, you wake up and the seasons change. The question is, how do you adjust the seasons? Now, if you live in a part of the country where their seasons are really distinct, there are various things that you understand. For example, those of you, well, how, many of you how many of you have lived in snow? You lived in really cold areas. Um, uh, wow. Ra raise your hands again. Let me see. Wow, quite a few of you. Uh, tell me some places you've lived that's really cold. Now, once they say the place, you can't say it again, okay? All right. Where would you live? Chicago. Chicago. Okay. New York. Detroit, Michigan. Detroit, Michigan. Uh, Nebraska. Real cold? Yes. <laughs> uh, New Jersey. Real cold? Yes? Germany. Yes? Cleveland? St. Paul, Minnesota? Yeah. Colorado. Yes? What? Utah. Utah gets really cold, huh? Wow, yes. What? Where? Oklahoma. Okay. Anybody else? Real cold, yes. Wisconsin. Yes. Philadelphia? Pittsburgh. Yes. Korea, yeah, okay, yes. Alaska. Uh, Rhode Island, cold, cold country. You know, I went to New York um, and um, for Thanksgiving. And, that, you know, and man, it was, um, I went to see the parade in person, Thanksgiving parade. And so we went, man, we had our little cute clothes on. <laughs> it was. It was so cold, it just go right through your pants, just right. <laughs> you know, it's, it's a cold, if you, you know, for those of us who, I grew up in L.A., Los Angeles, so I didn't grow up in seasonal weather. I was so unaware of seasons when Diane, when I moved to Savannah, I, I was born in Savannah but raised in Los Angeles, so when I got married and moved back here, uh, my wife, we bought a home, and my wife said, well, you won't have to water the grass after next month or so. And I said, why not, Diane? She said, she looked at me like, it's the seasons, it's, it's, it's going to go brown, dormant. I said, what do you mean dormant? She looked at me, she says, so you don't, know what that, you don't know what that means. How would I know? I've never lived in a place where it was seasonal weather. And so it was a, it was a whole different experience. So anyway, I went, went to New York for this wonderful parade. And we've done it a couple of times. And I'm telling you, I was so cold. I remember um, Diane says, Okay, that's enough of the, of the parade. I'm going to watch the rest on TV. And she went and left Ricky and I outside of, was it, 
Was it Christina? It might not. Christina stayed with me. Ricky went with her back to the room. And uh, Christina and I were going to rough it out. And she said, okay, Daddy, that's enough. Uh, it was cold. But that's something those of you who lived in those environments understand. Believe it or not, life's the same way. There are seasons when you have young children, and there are seasons when that changes. I watch people who fight over child custody as if that's the only season they're going to ever experience with those kids. And it's not. Eventually, those seasons change, and that's what the Bible tells us. Look at the text with me, please. There's a text here in the top of your notes. It's Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 1. To everything there is a what? Season. A time for every purpose under heaven. The message version says it this way. There is an opportune time to do things. A right time for everything on the earth. It's important to understand it comes in seasons. So here's the big question. Every, every sermon I try to have one big question or one big point I want to make. So here's my big question today. What season are you in and how much time do you have in this season to take charge? What season are you in right now and how much time, how much time do you have to take charge? That's the question. If you ask yourself the question, do I have time? How much time do I have to take charge? Now, one of the things that people who are older, who raise kids understand is you're on a clock. And this new season I'm in is grandparent, which is really hilarious. I went to um, Milani, that's my grandbaby's name. I went to uh, the doctor to pick up something for her. And uh, I told, I said, right, I'll go get it, guys. So I, I knew where our office was. So I drove over to the office in, in Orlando, and I went to the desk, and I said, um, I'm here to pick up something for Milani Temple. I'm her, I could hardly get it out, uh, grandfather. And it was the first time I'd ever said it. First time I'd ever, you know, in official, I'm on official granddaddy duty, okay? I'm picking up something. And so the lady looked at me, and she smiled and said, you know, you're the first person I ever told that to. And she laughed, and I laughed. But there was something about when you've been, you've raised children, and now you're in this another, other generation, you understand seasons. So when you see things, you understand this is temporary. We, we evolved past all of this. A lot of times... It's hard for a person to understand they're in a season, and if, if you don't take charge now, you will run out of time. You'll run out of time. You will not be able to forever change the way they behave or the way they act. A lot of the things we've seen in crime around our community is because families ran out of time. When the child was younger, when they had an opportunity to help the child academically, when they had the opportunity uh, other priorities seem to take, take the top seat. And so they missed a window, and I'll talk more about that later on. But I want to show you the importance of understanding that you have a specific amount of time in your life to take charge. You can fix a lot of things if you take charge now. And for some of you, this sermon is like the, the most important thing you've heard in a long time. Because when I said this, something came to your mind. He said, I, I, know, I, know what I, I know what I need to take charge of. I, I need to take charge of my attitude on my job because I've been complaining too much and I'm creating an atmosphere around me and, and I'm making it hard for them to, to enjoy my presence. I need to take charge of that. I need to fix that. I need to be thankful to be here. 
I need to watch how I respond to my boss and my supervisor. You might scare them tomorrow. If you go in there and be nice, they might say, what happened to you? But you have to take charge of that. Your marriage is at a place where it could really be almost at the end if you don't take charge. Time is running out. You've got to pause and say, okay, now we keep arguing like this and we keep having these issues with money. Eventually, we'll cross a financial line, a red line where we can't get out of it. We'll create a debt level that we can't manage. We'll create a culture of tension. One of the, one of the most amazing moments happened to me, one of our kids, and I'm sure they don't mind me telling the story, but um, they are uh, no longer here, but they, they told me a story. They're, I think it's about 10 years old. A, girl, a little girl said, uh, I want to talk to Pastor Rick. I need to talk to Pastor Rick. I, I need counseling. I need to talk to the pastor. Because they were arguing all the time, you know, and so... Uh, she, the wife called me and said, Pastor, she wants to talk to you. She said she needs counseling. And so I, I said, she was amazing. She said, Pastor, they're breaking me down. <laughs> they're just breaking down. It was so powerful because she was articulating how this family, they were, they were constantly into it. And, and she said, I, I, my grades are going down. And she gave me this long rundown of how her life was going in the wrong direction because of her parents' tension. And I thought to myself, wow, it's amazing how this person understood how unhealthy this was. And it's so easy for you as a parent to not understand that there are seasons when you can change something. And these folks really went after it to try to change that so that that atmosphere didn't stay. Because if you're not careful, it can stay and do damage that you can't fix. Long term, they want to run and get out of the house. They want to leave. They want to move out. They can't wait to go to college. They can't afford to go to the college they want to go to, but they want to get as far away from you as they can. And sometimes that's driven by the fact that there's so much going on here, and, and mom is always yelling, and dad's always upset, or he's always up, and my brothers are picking on me, and it's just, I want to get out of here. And they make bad choices because this family has not taken charge. What do you need to take charge of? What do you need to change before it's too late? There are four men I want you to study with me today, and I want you to look at four seasons. Now, we could spend the whole sermon on this, but I wanted to just use this as a launching pad to make another point that I want you to see. I want you to see four people in Scripture who live within a season. The first one I want you to see is Jesus. He had a 33.5-year season, 33.5 years to model a new life, die for our, die for our sins, and to, to ascend to heaven. I, I get the power of time limits because I do funerals. I do home goings a lot. I just did one yesterday. And, I'm, and doing funerals, I do weddings, I do funerals, I do dedications. I just have all, all these stretches in my life. And one of the things I've learned about funerals is when you get up and you do a funeral, the obituary sum, it just tells you in a half a page, you get about a half a page of information, not a full page. Normally, half the page is your information. The other half is who you're leaving behind. And in that little two-paragraph statement, it summarizes your entire life. And that's when it becomes real to you. You have a time limit. Jesus comes into the world, and there's a 33.5-year time limit on his life. And you think about how young that is. And he spends 30 years preparing. 
He doesn't do anything until he's 30. You see him jump up at 12 years old, you know, in the temple. But by and large, he's not doing anything. Now, the first question you ask yourself is, well, why did God wait so long? I mean, I started, I started as a teenager, right? No, no. Normally, it takes a long time to get ready to do a little bit of work. 30 years to prepare to do three and a half years of work. He's not the only one. Moses took 80 years to do 40 years of work. He was 80 years old when he started. Abraham was 75 years old before he had his first baby. Imagine that, having a toddler and 75 years old. Wow, <laughs> running around the house, 77 years old. Hey, stop that, put that down. I mean, this is amazing. <laughs> but it took 75 years to get his mind right, get his faith right. I'm sorry, that's just the start. Boy, am I off. He was 100 years old. The baby didn't come for 25 years. He was 100 years old with somebody running around the house. So imagine for a moment how profound it is when you look at these people's lives and you think, Jesus had 33.5 years. Judas had 3.5 years. 3.5 years to change his mind. 3.5 years to change his, his moral values and his views. And I talked about this a few weeks ago. When Judas started with Jesus, he was 30 years old. And Judas followed Jesus to all the miracles, raising of the dead, everything. But in three and a half years of full-time church, three and a half years of full-time exposure to Jesus up close, three and a half years of watching miracles, feeding the hungry, the 5,000, all that, none of that changed his values or his views. And he ran out of time. Now, at the end, he was sorry. But he'd already betrayed Christ, and I did this whole sermon. You can go back a few weeks and listen to it. It's amazing how that, to me, is an example of how it works. He had a season. So how many sermons have you heard? How many Bible verses have you heard? I've, I've freed myself, and I'm kind of struggling with this because I like people. But I have to admit that some people I will never change. I will never be able to get them to see. Judas had three and a half years. How long have you had? Peter had a season of seven years to grow. From the time Christ ascended in A.D. 30, okay, when Christ ascended to Acts chapter 10 was seven years. So when you get to the 10th chapter of Acts, seven years after Christ rose from the dead, and ascended. There's a conversation that God has with Peter about his attitude towards other races, specifically Gentiles. He was a guy who just loved Jews. He wasn't a guy who wanted to hang around with the Gentiles. So when he was around the Gentiles, he would say, you know, common and unclean. He just had this attitude. So there's this big study you can read, read about in Acts chapter 10, where he had this vision of the sheet coming down and and, and, a, and a voice spoke to him and says, call nothing I made common or unclean. And then he later leads Peter to some Jews, some Gentiles home, and he sees, you know, how God touched them. And so he now understands God wants to touch the Gentiles too. And that was God's original plan. God said, through you, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. God, God told Abraham that. I want you guys to be the launching pad, pad to bless everybody, not just Jews. Well, Peter couldn't, couldn't grab a hold of that. And he did not change, this is important, fast enough. Can you say that with me, please? Come on. 
No, no, no. Say it like you mean it. Come on. One more time. Say it again. Come on. There's something about knowing that you, you don't have forever to change. I'm coming. But you can take too long. So Peter didn't change fast enough. And so AD 37, okay, seven years after Christ, he said seven years to deal with this issue. When you get to Galatians chapter 2, verse 11, Paul confronts Peter and says, hey, man, you, you, when you're around Gentiles, you're one way. When you're around Jews, you're one way. And a matter of fact, when the Jews come around, you don't even want to hang with the Gentiles. There's a racial bias he has that's going to hinder the movement of God in the world. Because if this doesn't change, that means he can only reach people who look like him. I want you to hear what I'm saying. He can only reach people who look like him. And there's something about having that mindset, and I think in this political environment it's a pretty profound comparison. This idea that you can somehow marginalize people, and it's really fine as long as you know, you're in power. But when I was in Indonesia a couple of years ago, and um, I was surrounded by mainly Muslims who allowed me to come and preach to the Christians in, the, in, in Indonesia, and who allowed me to speak to thousands of Christians. They invited me back to come speak to 10,000 young people in Indonesia. And uh, I mean, hey, I'm taking Christina and Diane, and they want Christina to come and sing and all that good stuff, and they like them. And uh, Yeah, but I mean, I'm glad they didn't ask me at the airport, am I a Christian? I'm sorry. I'm glad that wasn't a test to whether I get to come in and preach or not. I think it's really important. I'm not, again, don't take that wrong. I understand terrorism and all the stuff we've got to deal with. That's all fine. I get that. I want us to do that. I want us to do that. Be conscious. Be aware. But I also want us to be clear. There's something about having a broad mind that understands the power and the limitations and certain attitudes. Peter was limited. Peter's capacity, and please be clear, this just happened to be in my study, okay? It's just something that I just, as a matter of fact, when I read it, I thought, boy, that fits. Peter, Peter, was, Peter had to be replaced by Paul, with Paul. You know why? Because Paul was a broad-minded person. Paul understood the power of reaching everybody. And so when you get to Acts chapter 12, which is now 14 years after Christ ascended, now you've got Paul rising to power, and Paul becomes the main spokesman. Paul was academically prepared. Paul was emotionally prepared. Paul could deal with people who were not like him. You know, I, I'm proud to be an African-American, but the whole world's not African-American. I'm proud to be an American, but the whole world's not American. The whole world is not Southern. You know, there's a whole lot of Northerners in here. You saw them raise their hand earlier. A lot of folks understand the difference in the way people up North think and the way people in the South think. One big thing is the way they greet you. When I came, when I can tell when I've landed in, in Atlanta, everybody's, hey, hey, not all over the country. You go someplace, you say, hey, they look at you, like, what do you want? Watch out. And it's not that they're not nice people, they just live in a different reality. You have to be, if you live in, I haven't, I haven't been to Jersey, I think, not through Jersey, but I haven't been to Jersey. But if you live in New York, how many people from New York? Raise your hand high, let me see. They're special. No, I'm serious. You gotta have a <laughs> you gotta have a certain mind set to just get around town. And you can tell when it's a rookie. You know, I was gonna ride the subway, lost. I looked like 
I'm a victim of crime. I look like somebody <laughs> should come rob me. I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know what to, what to catch, how to find my way. I'm just, I'm confused. I'm red line, blue line, what line? I don't know what line I'm on. I'm, I'm lost. And, 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 you know, it's so funny. Let me, let me tell you that. Don't tell anybody I told you this. Don't tell anybody this, okay? Raise your right hand. Oh, you, you, you're going to tell, all right? I can't wait to hear it. When I first went, first time I went to New York, I'd heard of the subway. I seen it on movies, right? So I told my kids, let's go look at it. So we went down. <laughs> and we didn't, we didn't, we just peeked and ran. That was it. We peeked. We didn't even try to go all the way in. We was afraid. You know, when we first rode the subway, one of my friends from New York, Ricky's friend, took us on the subway. We weren't getting on the subway. We thought we something might happen to us. Now you think that's hilarious, don't you? From 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 New York. And I I, I just couldn't understand why anybody would, would ride a subway, especially from LA where you had earthquakes. But it was a whole different mindset. There's something different when you engage different people. They have different strengths. People that are people here when it's cold, uh, 50 degrees, we got big jackets on. <laughs> people up north are saying, what's wrong with you? And then one flake of snow, we close the schools down. One flake. <laughs> one, all only one flake, just one flake. This one flake is, ah, school closed for a week. <laughs> All the northern people out there, what's wrong with all these people? I can't even get dinner. Everything closed. <laughs> it's true. It's all about being able to adjust fast enough. Paul became the main voice to the Gentiles 14 years after Christ ascended because he could embrace, catch this now, a new ethnic season. He could embrace new things. I really believe that sometimes God wants to bless us, but he knows you can't embrace this new season. For some of you, you've never flown in your life, but the new season requires that you fly. And you just refuse. You, you, the new season requires that you learn how to work computers, but you refuse. You can't embrace, so God has to step over you. He's not going to wait. And here's what's tragic, and this is so, so amazing. Sometimes even in your marriages, in your relationships, your friendships, people come to a place where they're tired of this season of brokenness. They're tired of being in strife. They're tired of arguing. They're tired of fussing. They're tired of, they're tired of living like this. This house is a mess. Everything's a mess. It's, and and, and you, you get to the point that you want to get out of that season. You want to get past feeling this way. Life just doesn't feel good to you. And, and the person says, listen, can you, can you grow with me? Can we grow together beyond this? And if you refuse, it's hard for a person to accept that, okay, I'm going to die this way. I'm going to die this junk. I'm going I'm to live like this until I die. You, you're telling me you won't change, you won't consider it, so now we have this issue. Can I be real for a second? It's an issue. And, and I think it's when you can embrace seasons together, things change. And, and some of the things that I think I embraced that were really great in my early years of my marriage, one of them was I decided to be a helper. And not make Diana this independent person who's managing everything all by herself. I, I, and I mean physically help. And I've told the story so many times, I probably should tell it again. But I remember one of the big things I saw was I saw that she was drowning in clothes. The clothes alone, just the, you know, the clothes, laundry, was killing her. You know, the maintenance of the house, uh, managing the children during certain times of day, 
And, and so I had to embrace a new way. I had to embrace a new way to live my life so that she could survive. Now, so I came with a brilliant plan. The plan was that I was going to take over the, the laundry. And, um, and, and wow, that was a decision. Because I, you know, I, I looked at her one day and said, baby, you're just disorganized. Let me help you. Let me take over the laundry and the ironing, and I'll fix everything. And, and, and so I had this whole plan. Oh, man, I'm telling you, I never, I never was so shocked in my life. You know, I never knew people wore so many clothes. You know, and, and then when you wash those clothes, you know, after a while, you count up seven pieces, you know, for one day. You know, socks include everything. Six or seven pieces. If you're trying to wash that every day for one person times four people, it was a mess. And then, you know, after a while, you start telling people, yeah, you can wear that again. That is not that bad. That is, <laughs> shoot, what? Put that back on. Put that back on. That is. And, and then you iron stuff and they let it fall on the floor. You get an attitude. I start fussing. Hey, pick that up. Hey, don't be leaving the floor on the floor. So I, I hired me somebody to help me, praise God. I did. I, <laughs> I got some help. But, you know, but I just realized that sometimes I'm praying for God to do things in my life, but I'm not willing to take charge of the season. So let me give you some things that I think are tough. Four tough lessons I've learned about seasons. You ready? Four tough lessons. Number one. I've learned it's tough to recognize when you're in a season. Sometimes you don't know where you are. You have to learn. I am in, a, I am in the whatever season. I'll talk about those in a minute. Number two, it's tough to recognize when you're at the end of a season. I'm at the end. I, 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 this job is over. This career is over. This friendship. You know, we're in, in different places. A lot of people face that when they get married. And they, they're single friends no longer. They, they don't have the same common schedule, the same common issues. And it's not that you're, you're better than anybody. It's just that now you have children, you got homework, you got things to do. You can't, you know, you can't hang the same way. Thirdly, I found this tough to recognize you have missed a seasonal opportunity. You've missed a season. That's no longer available. I, I, I no longer can, can do that. That's, that's gone. Number four, it's tough to wait for a season that seems out of sight. You don't see a husband or a wife or a career or anything. You don't know how you're going to adjust your life. So it's tough to, to, to be in a place where you, you're waiting for a new season and it hasn't come yet. Those are tough things. What I did was I, I, I thought about this and I wrote down what I call seven seasons I, I reviewed in my life. There were seven interesting seasons and really six and then one season I'm in right now. And I'll talk about the one I'm in right now in a minute. But let me, if I can, walk you through these seven seasons. I went through a season of what I call I need to be independent, where I just want to do it all myself. And I did a lot of that in my marriage. I, I wanted to manage the money, plan the trips. I used to plan vacations, and I used to just take over and say, you know, you know I'll, I'll pick the hotel, I'll do this. And I did everything myself, plane flights, did it all. And that was good for a season, but long term it wasn't good. Because there are a lot of things that I can't share. And if everybody's spending money, I need to have everybody know where the money is. And if everybody's involved, it kind of makes everybody feel connected to the decision-making process. And I was taught to be independent because I was the only child, and I was taught to take charge and you know, be independent. But I've learned that I need to allow people to help me. That's why I think I've worked out okay here as a pastor, because I really share the load. I don't have to manage the day-to-day -day and all the details. I really let people help me. And that, that's important. That keeps me sane. Um, from the time I get here, people are helping me. I mean, that really, I'm telling you, letting people help you can change everything. 
Some of you that are starting businesses, you're running around doing everything yourself, you will not last. So independence, I, I had a season when I was like that. Secondly, I went through a season of, I need friends to help me. <laughs> I, you don't want to do it by yourself. You got to always have a friend. And so you won't go to church by yourself. You won't, you won't go on vacation by yourself. You won't do anything by yourself. Help me, help me, help me, help me. You're a help me person. And, and you know, I wanted to go to conferences and show me how to pastor and show me how to teach. And, and I, I believe in people helping me, but I can't wait for everybody to help me. Say amen if you're hearing me. Thirdly, I went through a season of I will study my way to being better. So always study, read, study, knowledge, 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 knowledge. And I really think a lot of people, even in their pursuit of God, lose track of the fact that it's not just knowledge, it's relationship. It's having an open heart to God and allowing him to change and challenge your life. And so it's not just about studying. It's about relating, being honest, being transparent. Fourthly, I went through a season of I need to go to the next level. It's been a long time there. Next level, next level, next level, especially this time of year. Going to the next level. Next year, going to another level. And every, you're always trying to renovate your house or trying to renovate your car. You're trying to do something. And I'm not against being progressive. I'm just against being a person who's always living in this unsatisfied place. Happiness is always on the porch. It's not in my house. It's always out there. And so I live in this frustrated place where, you know, I got these shoes, but now I need another level shoe. Uh, and, and, it, it, and people kind of push you into that direction. You need to buy expensive jackets, because the regular jacket, you know, is just not, you need, I need to go to the next level. How much, what, what you wearing? What kind of jacket is that? What kind, what kind, of, what kind of car are you driving? So you've got to always get something more expensive. And, and you're never happy in your car. And, and you find out when you get, you get your Ford, then you need, you need a Volvo, then you need a, need, then you need a Bentley, a Mercedes, Lexus, Bentley, you know, it just, it just never stops. A plane. A lot of guys went and bought planes. They couldn't afford a plane. They couldn't even afford the gas. That's, 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 and so you live in this next level thing. And let me, let me say, this is really funny. A friend of mine was talking to me the other day, and he said, hey, Rick, you know, we just, um, they just um, got me um, a plane so that I can get around a little easier. And um, it's, um, they spent, I think I said, a couple million dollars a year. He was telling me, he was telling me about this plane thing, and, and, and I'm sitting there listening. I'm thinking Delta. You know, but my friend can have a plane and I'm okay. I don't, I don't, that's not, that's not, that doesn't have to be a next level for me. Say amen if you hear what I'm saying to you. I don't have to live in this pressure uh, because he does need that. But what he does, oh, he did, he doesn't need it right now, but he did at that time in his life, he needed that gift to get around. It just made it easier for him. And, and the money he generated, it made sense. So a lot of times, if you're not careful, you get caught up in this next level thing, and you make decisions that are incredibly unwise. And you're just not happy with your house, with your apartment, with your car. So I went through that season. Then I went through another season of, this is important, number five. I went through a season of give and save a little, save little for me. Not, not, I'm not trying to give to myself, I'm always trying to give away from me. So my time is always about helping the community, or it's always about helping some group, and it's always about being available. And so I don't save any for me. And I just think that's unwise. I've lived through that season. I, I, because here's what, it, here's what it ends up being. I went through a season of what I call number six on your list. I'm busy and worn out for God. 
I'm worn out, look tired, stressed out, but I'm doing it for God. And God is pleased. That's not true. If you work seven days a week, you never stop, you are sinning. I don't use that term all the time, but I want, you to, I want to get your attention. Why? Because when God made man, he said, you rest. You work six days, seventh day you stop. Every week. Say every week. Every. It's not healthy. One of the smartest things I do is I stop. When I finish the sermon, I'm done for the day. What? 15 minutes. <laughs> AB 10. I'm going to cut this thing down. I'm almost finished. What are you going to do? <laughs> you want to know what I'm going to do? Let me show you my trick. I got Levi's on. I'm going to take this off. I got another jacket in my office. Put my sweater on. I got some tennis shoes in the car. Ha! Back to being a normal person. This is my man of God look, right? <laughs> See what? Man of God look. No man of God look. Sorry. <laughs> Back to the man of God look. Okay. I mean, I got this morning. I said, who? I ain't putting on no pants. I want jeans. I feel I feel a jean spirit. Stop. I plan to stop. I'm going to take my shoe off, person. I really, if I come to your house, I'm going to take your shoes off. <laughs> I like it. I do. Don't worry. I'm, I'm, it's all good. It's nothing bad. I don't like that. Oh, God. It was, what does that mean? What does that mean? That is terrible. Yeah, I'm looking at you. Don't feel shame. Feel shame. Feel shame. No. But I am. But I am. I, I just, I feel there's something healthy about stopping and resting and, and, um, and retooling. I probably give my staff too much time off. I've said this. I probably do. But they love it. They love it. I call it work slow down, they need to work from home, whatever, and work it out. But I love this idea of resting. I did this thing. I, let me tell you what really got me jazzed. I, went, I, took, I took two weeks off one time. And I'd never done that. I'd never taken two weeks straight off. Man, I was, wow. Woo. Wake up when you want to, roll over. What do you have to do today? No schedule. Some of you have never done that. What's amazing is you're working to get to retirement, but you may be, by the time you get there, you, you can't hardly move. I decided to retire along the way. Come on, amen. Come on. Come on, amen. That's, see, churches don't get it. That's why I think a lot of people don't go to church. You never know when they're going to get out. They wear you out. They get you there one time, and they don't ever let you, they don't ever let you leave. And so you said, Lord, if I can get out of here one time, Jesus, I won't come back. <laughs> they wear you out for God. <laughs> and I, I know I bother people. Some of our guests, I give them time limits. I say, hey, you know, the sermon is about this long. You know, and, and so, look, I've gone 35 minutes, I think, so I'm about done almost. It's like, hey, you know, and it bothers them. They want to go a long time. I said, you can't go that long. You can't say everything you know in one sermon. I took Ricky to a conference one time, and... Um, and I got to tell you the name of the conference because it, it doesn't fit if I don't tell you the name of the conference. It was the Azusa conference years ago. And Ricky was little. And Ricky said, Whoa, I know why they call it Azusa. They go from A to Z. <laughs> Whoa, that's a long time, Dad. That's a long time. That's <laughs> okay. You know, you just, you just, people get tired. People, people, and sometimes you, you're not, 
bad, you just need a nap. You need to stop. You need to rest. You need to eat some fruit. You need to lay down. You need to do nothing important. And it just changes everything in your life. So those are six seasons I went through. I went through independent season, help me season, studying my way to being better, went to this next level season, went to save a little season for me, and then I went through a worn out season for God season. Now I'm in the seventh season. And it's something I'm thinking about, and I'll talk about this more next week. There's one word that's been on my mind, and I call it the show me the layers season. That's what I'm in right now. I'm praying to God, show me the layers in my life that hinder my life. I had this incredible revelation. God has a purpose for my life. And next, time, next week I'm going to talk about when, what is God's purpose for your life. But I've learned that, and I'll let you read the rest of the notes later, and I'm not going to read it to you now. You read it on your own. But it's uh, some things I wrote to explain this more in more detail. But let me just summarize it for you, and I'll talk more about this next week. But I've learned that in my life there are issues that hinder me. And God wants to get me to a certain place, but he can't because they're buried beneath layers. Bad habits, um, emotionally, I'm emotionally connected to things I don't need to be emotionally connected to that I think are important, but they're not important. And it's kind of like, well, like what you do with your kids. You try to say, this is not important. I know you think at, you know, at, at ninth grade that the most important thing is that these kids love you, but this is not important. That important. Your education is more important. You're trying, to, you know, you're trying to peel back this misperception. And throughout your life, there's certain misperceptions you can have. And I'm, I'm discovering there's certain things that God wants to do in my life or wanted to do in my life, but he couldn't do it because buried beneath, it was buried beneath layers. And so he's been peeling back layers, saying, I want you to look at this. I want you to see that. A, a simple example is you're praying for God to bless you financially. But you love debt too much. You just won't stop spending. You have this whole psychological you know, reason that you, you can't. And so until that's removed, you, you have to always be right. In any relationship, you, you have to assert yourself and you're aggressive and you, you know, and so until you get rid of that, they'll never promote you. Why would they want you at the top? You're, you're tough at the bottom. They won't give me a chance. If they, I know how to lead this place. You look like it. You're the smartest one in the room. See, until, you, until that arrogant layer is peeled from you, until you can be a team player, well, I wouldn't do it that way. This is what I would do. You're not in charge. You're not in charge. You need to learn how to peel that layer back. And, and, and don't be offended. It's your, it's your body language. It's the way you act. I see people sometimes in public, and I think, you, you need to be videoed. You need to let somebody see you in, in action. The way you have to always highlight yourself. You know, in America, it's always about follower, leadership. In Japan, it's followership. In Asian countries, it's, they study followership. You can look up followership. There's a whole, you can get a whole PhD in it. Learning how to follow is just as important as learning how to lead. Do you ever think about following? Do you ever think about the importance of being a, a second or third person? There's a lot of money in that. There's a lot of money in knowing how to step into a place and be humble and helpful and non-critical 
There's something about that. And so as, as I've prayed, I've been in this season of show me, show me the layers. And, I've, and it's amazing. The more I open my heart, the more he teaches me. I hope today I peel back a layer because this could be a season that could change your life. Did you learn something today? I hope you did. Praise God. Father, I thank you for this time. I thank you for the word of God. I thank you for your people. We leave today with a clear sense that we need to take charge in the right season. There are seasons when we need to act. We need to get going. We need to be moving without fear. And I, I speak grace and healing and power and strength, Lord God, to our lives. I pray that you would come and give us vision. Help us see what we can't see. For some, the big issue for them today is their walk with God, where they are spiritually. They need to make a decision about their spiritual walk with God. They need to make a decision about where they are in their lives. And some have not been walking with you. We come to the end of the year. There's only one Sunday left in the year. And they've been talking about it for a long time, but they've never really made the step. So today, I pray that they would consider it. They need deliverance from where they've been. The word salvation means deliverance. I want to be freed from this life. I want to live a different kind of life. Free from the bondages in my life, the attitudes. They want to walk with God with a sure and a confident relationship. With every head bowed, every eye closed, if you're here and you say, Pastor Rick, I want you to pray for me today. Before the year is out, I want you to pray for me that I would start a new walk with God. If that's where you are, and you want me to pray that prayer for you, I want you to do one thing for me. Simply raise your hand so I know who I'm praying for. Say, I'm praying for you. Okay, I'm praying for you. One, two, three. I'm praying for you. Four, you five, you six, you seven, you eight, you nine, you 10, you 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, 23 people plus. I'm praying for all these people, Father, who raised their hands. You can put your hands down now. Father, we pray for them. And we pray that the hand of God would be strong upon them. That as they today come saying, I need deliverance, I need salvation, I need the forgiveness of Jesus in my life. He died for me to be forgiven. I pray this will be that transforming moment when their lives would never be the same. I thank you for your care and your love. Would you all lift your hand with me, please? Every hand lifted. Father, we speak healing today. People have come here today and they need to be touched. Heal them, deliver them, strengthen them, give them grace. I thank you because you care. I thank you for your love today. I thank you that they'll leave here knowing that they were touched by God today and they will never be the same in Jesus' name. And everybody say amen. amen. Can we give the Lord a big hand clap and a big praise for all of you? All of you